Last week, we started our teaching with a quiz associating the song with the artist. Today, I want to have another quiz where I want us to connect the slogan with a company uh, that uh, developed and had that slogan. So when you see the uh, particular slogan up here, just shout out the company associated with it. Easy enough there. There you go. Exactly right. I thought more people would know that one. Got to think different, don't we? I like it. This is a harder one. L'Oreal, exactly, because you are worth it. Oh, we all know this one, us. Yeah, all the oldies know that one. Capital, that's exact. You guys are good. Well, obviously, slogans highlight the brand, and sometimes we connect more with the slogan than we do with the actual brand. One of the persons in the advertising world says a good slogan tells the customer what the brand stands for. Hang on to that. What the brand stands for. On July 4, 1776, a few minutes after the uh, signing of the Declaration of Independence, the Congress put together a committee to come up with two things, a seal of the United States and a slogan for the United States. Some kind of a phrase that would communicate what the brand stands for, what the country stands for. The committee was made up of these heavyweights, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and Benjamin Franklin. And they met several times and they considered uh, to start off with a couple of biblical figures, but they threw those out, which I think is very telling. What they landed on and what Congress adopted as far as a slogan was this Latin phrase, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. It appears that they got the idea from a magazine called the Gentleman's Magazine. And no, that was not the 18th century version of Playboy. <laughs> that would be kind of funny, though, wouldn't it? It was kind of like uh, the Reader's Digest, and I realize only 60 and above even know what Reader's Digest is, but it's a compilation of different articles. And Gentleman's Magazine was a compilation of different articles from different sources. And so the Gentleman's Magazine used E Pluribus Unum as their slogan. Many articles combined into one location. And this is a, a copy, or rather a picture of that. And you'll see the uh, slogan right there. And in the middle was their graphic. Every good company has a graphic, you know. And so what this is, it's hard to see, is a bouquet of flowers. Of diverse flowers, different kinds of flowers. And that's why we have this beautiful bouquet. Thank you, Don Poe, for making that for us today. But this bouquet of flowers has a variety and a diversity of flowers. All combined to make a beautiful bouquet. Now that, I believe, is the, and that's a close-up of the image that was on the uh, on the magazine itself. I believe that this unity is the, was the desire, the heartbeat of the founders of the United States, that each state, each re region, each subculture, 
was a different flower. And all of those different beliefs, religions, and perspectives were all brought out and put into a single vase called the United States to make a beautiful bouquet. We need to understand that America operates best when we realize we don't all have to be roses. We need some tulips and some marigolds. And you've got to make room for the dandelions like me. <laughs> yeah. So keep going back in history, and we'll find uh, even further uses of this e pluribus unum. This guy named Virgil, uh, he was a poet, a Roman poet, and he used this phrase, e pluribus unum, in a poem. And the poem included a recipe for something that you and I love, most of us love. The poem is called Moitum, and what it is was a recipe for pesto. Now, the word Moitum literally means salad, but the food that he describes in his poem is a, uh, oh, it's a paste more than anything else made up of a pulped a basil and garlic and cheese. What he was describing was pesto, and what he did, he used that Latin phrase to describe all these different ingredients all being pulped together to make one delicious dip for your bread or your whatever you're going to use it for, pesto. Now, a few months after signing the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson returned to his home state of Virginia to work on legislation about religion in his state. He quoted in his private notes that he was drafting out of which would come this legislation a quote from John Locke, who was a philosopher, a physician, one of the major thinkers in the Enlightenment. And this is what the quote is. Thomas Jefferson quoting John Locke. John Locke says, neither pagan, and pagan was a word that was used to describe anybody that really didn't believe in, in a supreme being or something like that. Nor, that's an interesting statement, wow, the fact that he was saying it in the 18th century, Mahometan or, or Muslim nor Jew to be excluded from the civil rights of the commonwealth because of his religion. And in the Virginia, Virginia statute for religious freedom, Thomas Jefferson proclaims that our civil rights have no dependence on our religious opinions. And that statute became law in 1786, and that inspired our own Constitution, the Bill of Rights. It inspired the no religious test of the Constitution, and it inspired the First Amendment. Now, one of our founding fathers, in case you forgot what the First Amendment was, in this TikTok video helps us remember what the First Amendment was. Take a look. The church is supposed to direct. Oh, my gosh. That's really a hot item right now. It is so hot with the decision of the Supreme Court. I come from a background 
that has embraced the separation of church and state. I, uh, I still have roots in Baptist world. I'm not a Baptist. I left that denomination, Southern Baptist, in 1994. But there are some things about the Baptist tradition, uh, many things, really, for which I am so grateful. And one of those is the heartbeat of the Baptist world, not just in England, but in the United States, was a separation of church and state. I think it is so important for us to remember. Now, the phrase, the, the, the congressperson from Colorado was right, the phrase separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. I believe the principle is, and you may not, and that's okay. That's what makes it fun. You're this flower, and I'm that flower, <laughs> and that's okay. The phrase separation of church and state was first used in my understanding of it, in the United States, by a Baptist preacher, Roger Williams, in the 17th century. He was kicked out of Massachusetts because he taught two things, separation of church and state, and the government of Massachusetts was requiring people to be a particular faith. And he also taught that the government should not steal the land from the Native Americans, but they ought to buy it from the Native Americans. Well, who would want to be fair like that? Well, Roger Williams did, and Massachusetts didn't like it, so they kicked him out. And he talked all the time, and he actually used the phrase, separation of church and state. And if you fast forward 100-plus years, you see Thomas Jefferson reflecting the principles of Roger Williams on the separation of church and state. Thomas Jefferson actually used that phrase uh, in a letter that he wrote to a group of Baptists in Danbury, Connecticut, who were worried because the Presbyterians in Connecticut was the official religion. And the Presbyterians were oppressing the Baptists and persecuting the Baptists. And uh, so Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter writing that the First Amendment put a wall between the church and the state. And I, I value that, and I agree with that. And it's okay if we don't have full agreement on that. But I think it's a very important part of our uh, United States history. So, e pluribus unum. That was the motto, the slogan that the founding fathers picked, and it, it stayed around for a very, very long time. But then in 1956, about a month after I was born, during the height of the McCarthy era, go back in our history, and during the Cold War, Congress officially made In God We Trust, the motto of the United States, in order to differentiate the United States from the, quote, godless communist of the Soviet Union. And that happened, the Congress acted on that two years after the phrase, under God, was added to the Pledge of Allegiance. So we went from, out of many, one, as a slogan, as what our country stood for, to, in God we trust. I don't necessarily want you to respond verbally, or even with your hands raised, because I don't want to even, yeah, I don't want you to be put on the spot. 
But which one of those do you prefer? Now, I'm a pastor, and I try to lead people to be re-ligamented religion, re-ligamented with God. And you would think my preference would be in God we trust, but it's not. My preference is the first one. In God we trust versus e pluribus unum. Now remember, a good slogan tells what the company or the country stands for. And we are all aware, I think, of how divided the United States are, is how polarized we are. And I wonder if there's any connection at all between our separation and our slogan. Now think with me. Just go with me. The first slogan is very inclusive. The first slogan is very respectful of different views and different opinions. Many different views, many different opinions, many different religions coming into one group. And not all having the same views and the same religions. That's not what it means to be one. The flowers are still separate flowers. You got a you got a Buddhist flower here, and you got an evangelical flower there, and you got a Hindu flower there, but you got all these flowers coming together into one group. E pluribus unum. Out of many, we're one people. So that slogan to me communicates inclusiveness and a respect for the different opinions. And the other one, in God we trust, to me, as I understand it, as I look at it, it's very exclusive. And it's very divisive. What if I don't believe in God? Or what if I don't believe in the God that most people imagine is God? Does that mean there's not a place for me in the United States? If I don't hold to your particular version of God, whoever created this slogan, does that mean I'm not really an American? Hmm. Think about it. I'm very, very opposed to any government making as their slogan, or any aspect of government, any agency of government, in God we trust. So how can we move from the divided states of America to the United States of America? Other countries have racial bonds and religious bonds and some countries have geographical bonds in that the people that lived there, most of the individual citizens were born there and families were born there. But the United States, as it was, has been called for so many years, is a melting pot of so many different geographies. So what unites us are all these different flowers. How do all these different flowers come together in a vase? Let me give a, give a couple of suggestions, and they're not 
based on any study. Just my spirit. I think what unites us is a love for and a commitment to freedom. Freedom of thought. Freedom of opinions. Freedom of perspectives and equality. Now, the Declaration of Independence, which we signing of which we celebrate this weekend, it declares we know these words, we hold these truths to be self evident that what? All men are created equal. Sorry, women. <laughs> yeah. We hold these truths. Now, the founding fathers wrote beautiful words, Thomas Jefferson did. They may have held that truth, but they didn't practice that truth. That all men are created equal. Women were not considered in that. Blacks were not considered in that. Neither were Native Americans. Really just property owner, white property owners. But Americans are growing. We are evolving, some of us. Some of us not. And we realize, as we look back on that document, that it was aspirational. And I wonder if Thomas Jefferson realized, in reality, I'm not living this out as a slave owner. I own people. And the people that I own are not free. And I wonder if Thomas Jefferson was conflicted as he wrote this. All men are created equal. Our love for freedom and equality, we state it, but we have got to grow into that. And my question to you is, are you growing into that? Are you moving toward that? Deeper research into the origin of E. Pluribus Unum takes us to Cicero, who was um, born in 107 and died in 43 BCE, a Roman statement. And he was writing of the values that hold a society together. Boy, he was writing about that 100 years before Jesus was born. What values will hold a society together? I was blown away by what he wrote. Maybe you will be too. He writes, when each person loves the other as much as himself, it makes one out of many. He changed the wording a little bit, unis fiat ex pluribus. As Pythagoras wishes things to be in friendship. My gosh, you think he read the New Testament. Really? Is that what it takes? Just uh, if we would love each other as ourselves, then that would be a value that would hold us together. So maybe what unites us is this shared humanity. And as a humanity that, as Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is an answer to a question, what's the greatest command? And the second is this. Now, Mark 
changes it a little bit than Matthew. That verse 31 in, in many manuscripts of Greek says, the second is the same. The second is as is the first, meaning it's not a ladder that number one's here, number two is here. No, one and two are together. They're equal, equal in importance. One doesn't have hierarchy over another. And the second is like the first, is what Jesus is saying. Love your neighbor, neighbor, love your navel, love your neighbor <laughs> as yourself. Wow. Cicero was around a hundred years before Jesus. I think Jesus may have known some of the writings of Cicero. Well, we share a humanity. We just don't live like that. We don't see each other as human. Denise and I watched the CBS morning, Sunday morning show while we were getting ready this morning. That's why we were late because it was such a good show today. A lot better than the church. <laughs> it was so good. But they had a, a segment on unlikely animal friends. It was so, let's go back and see if you can find that on streaming somewhere. It is so powerful. But I had thought about that same idea when I was preparing this teaching earlier in the week. And so Whitney found my, some pictures for us, Whitney Escobell. These very unlikely animals are friends. Look at that. It's like a bouquet of diverse flowers. Animals that we would think would be at each other's throat, dangerous to one another, are friends. Oh, my gosh. Maybe that's why Mark Twain says that he'd rather go to the dog's heaven than man's heaven. Hmm. I've discovered there are two ways to unify people. One is through hate and one is through love. Hate is easier. You ever heard this cliche? No bond is stronger than two people who hate the same person. So you get two people and they're talking about person number three over here and they both hate person number three. And their emotions are intense. And they just feel like we're so, we're, we're just kindred spirits. We're connected here. It is so good to find someone who hates the same person I do. <laughs> and the bond is tight between people who hate the same thing. That's why I believe so much, so many sermons and the denominations that I've been a part of rile the people up to hate something. If we can just get enough people to hate this item or this issue or this group or that group, then it seems like it unites us. And it may be powerful, but it's also deadly. 
There's a better way to unify. It's not as easy. It's easy to unify with people who share the same hate. The other way to unify is hard. It requires understanding and listening. It's the way of Bob Marley. One love, one heart. Let's get together and feel all right. You know, there's so much wisdom in the songs of our, of our history. In so many songs of my youth in the 60s and 70s speak to a, a unifying humanity in the core of love that I, I, I missed in church world. Why would it be that I would leave a church service hating people and thinking I was better than others? But I could listen to the radio to some of the rock songs and I could get a sense of come on people now smile on your brother everybody get together and try to love one another right now I think Paul is trying to help us do that there's one body one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord one faith one baptism one God and Father over everyone who is over all and through all and in all. That we are all united. I love Paul's use of the metaphor in Colossians 3. You are the people of God. He loved you and chose you for his own. So then, you must clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Dang it, that's why we don't do the love thing. Those things are hard. It's easier to hate than it is to do this stuff. But Paul is saying, you are called by God. You claim to know God. God is in you, and he is. God, she is in you. But we have to work so hard to do these things. and It's easier to hate and to be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. Verse 13, be tolerant with one another. Paul, you're, you're just living right today. Forgive one another whenever any of you has a complaint against someone else. You must forgive one another. And he pulls the Jesus card. <laughs> just as the Lord has forgiven you. And in verse 14, and to all these qualities, add love. It's like he's making a pesto, isn't it? Changes metaphor a little bit. You've got all these things going into your pot And the last thing to add is love. And this is what Paul says love does. Love binds all things together in perfect unity. The scholars who are so aware of the culture of Paul's day says that really what Paul was talking about was a belt that held all your other clothes together. 
I guess if you don't wear that belt, you just, everything falls off. The word translated bind is used also in Acts 16. The story about Paul being in prison, Paul and Silas. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. That word chain is the exact same Greek word as in verse 14 right there. Where are we? Binds. Same Greek word. So what Paul, I think, is telling us is that love chains us together. We're imprisoned together. We are locked together by love. And when we are locked together by love, that will produce the peace and the unity. So through love, we are linked and locked in peace. And that's what religion is supposed to do, to re-ligament people to God and to each other. Most religions, though, have separated people, groups from groups, individuals from individuals. Religion tragically has been and still is a motive and a means for pulling people apart. It's my understanding that the divisiveness and the dualism of our world can only be overcome by a unitive consciousness at every level. Personal, ecclesiastical, political. A unitive consciousness. Something that I saw in a moving story, moving to me, by CBS's Steve Hartman. Take a look at this. We're feeling and we're taking away from that story. Number one, I hope that if you have a prejudice against Islam and if you have stereotyped Muslims based on the 9-11 tragedy or other experiences, that this chips away that prejudice, if not absolutely destroying it. I hope it does. There is, in every faith, something that unifies all faiths. And that is a love for others. It is the heartbeat of so many expressions of faith. And what we've done, we've moved away from that unifying presence of love and added so many other issues that we've forgotten about the love. The gentleman told the man who written such hateful comments, you're my brother in humanity. And Nora O'Donnell closes it with ending hate with humanity. How will we as a country bridge the divide 
I think it is our shared humanity. We end the hate like this gentleman did. His kind response to this man who had verbally abused him created a bridge where there was a wall. So, today and tomorrow, when you're celebrating, blow out the 246 candles on the birthday cake of the United States and make a wish. Make a wish that we truly will be the United States. And that we as a nation and we as individuals will live out the motto, the slogan, out of many, one. Let's pray. Thanks, God, for this opportunity to look at love again. Forgive us for diverting our attention from love to other things. So bring us back to that. In the name of love, I pray. Amen.